In just a moment, I'm going to be reading two scriptures, one from Genesis chapter 2 and one from Galatians chapter uh, 5. And before that, I invite us to a time of prayer, a time of silence, a time of meditation to be in God's presence together. Already, mighty God, we have been enriched in this worship time. What an incredible privilege that you would invite us into your throne room, that you would invite us into personal, permanent relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray forgiveness for our sins, that you might shine a light in the dark places of our hearts, that you might instead fill us with the light of Jesus, that you would instruct us in our way and confront us this morning as we practice the twin worship experience of repentance and thanksgiving. And we pray today for those in our church family who are ill, who are struggling, who are hurting. We pray for those in our community who are struggling economically, for those in our nation and world who uh, have seemingly lost hope. We pray that you would help us as a church to be all you've created us to be, to reach people and touch lives. And we pray today that you would bless our mission partners, bless the work of the kingdom that happens everywhere, protect those in military service. We pray that you would bring wars to an end, guide the leaders of our nation and all the nations of the earth. Lord, you have made all of us, all the peoples of the earth for your glory, to serve you in freedom and peace. Give us this morning the zeal for justice, and give us hearts for you, that we will use our liberty according to your will, and that we would use our liberty that others may be free, and that your creation may flourish. Guide our minds and our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and then Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And I invite you to stand, if you're able, as God's word comes among us from Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And then to Galatians chapter 5, first verse 1, and then over to verse 13. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another." The word of the Lord for the people of God. May he bless it. You may be seated. Can you remember uh, your first ever carnival as a child? Maybe it was a 4th of July celebration. Maybe it was a county fair, a state fair, 
just that wide-eyed uh, innocence of, of a child trying to take in all the sights and the sounds and all those games just waiting to be played and all that, that excitement that waited for you. And, and it, it almost filled your head with a sort of dizziness uh, that was just hard to describe. I think that's what Scripture is trying to continually say to us about uh, the freedom that God gives us, the openness that God gives us to be his people and to respond to him, that there is this, uh, in, in a very true sense, a dizziness to freedom because there are so many options, so many choices, so many things we can do. Um, the Danish philosopher who was a Christian, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, once said that anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Uh, he, he was pointing out that freedom produces choices, and choices create anxiety. That when we have all these choices, we have a lot of anxiety about all those choices that are in front of us. And that's why the title of the sermon this morning is Dizzying Freedom, because there is this dizziness, this anxiety that comes because we can choose to do so many things. And, and that, that freedom, that liberty, that, that theologians call soul liberty or soul freedom, uh, begins in creation. It's not something given to us by the government, something that God gives us in creation. God creates us, Genesis says, with infinite dignity and worth. We have immeasurable dignity and worth as human beings. And God also creates us in freedom. We are in creation free moral agents. That is to say, we are free to obey God or to not obey God. We are free to do God's will or to not do God's will. We have that freedom with all of these choices. So that's something that comes to us with creation. And even the Declaration of Independence recognized that. Uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. It's our Creator who endows us the, uh, the, the liberty, endows us with that liberty that we have. Now, it's interesting that in the Genesis account, after creation, in the second chapter, God wants to show Adam all the freedom Adam has. God says, look, Adam, you can, you can eat anything. You can have anything. Just leave that one thing alone. All these choices and one limitation, one restriction. And what's the one thing that Adam wants? Have you ever had a toddler in your house and you said, you can play with all these toys, and the toddler heads to the remote control, right? I mean, that's just human nature. And it's really fascinating that in the third chapter of Genesis, when the serpent is whispering in uh, the ear uh, of the first couple, Adam and Eve, the serpent flips that around, and instead of talking about all the freedom they have, he talks about the one restriction they have, and he gets them to focus on the one restriction. Think about how much of the Bible is about the freedom of choice that we have, this soul liberty that we enjoy with this freedom 
to choose God or reject God. I mean, all through scriptures. I, I couldn't begin to list them all. Joshua uh, 24, choose you this day whom you will serve. John 3, 16, the verse we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. See, we have that choice to accept or reject. And then the closing book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him. All those invitations, all those choices, all that freedom, it's an amazing biblical theme that runs throughout. It's that soul liberty, that soul freedom that we have. But here's something I'm learning always. I want to see if you're also learning this as you go. We can't make choices for other people. We can't make choices for other people. Other people have to make up their own minds. We can't help, we can't force anybody to get well. A person has to want to get well. We can't force anyone to come to Christ. That person must choose with the Holy Spirit's help. We can't choose for other people. There is this there is this dignity and there is this, this reality that each soul is endowed with the opportunity to make up its own mind, to make its own choices. And that's why we continually insist uh, in our Baptist heritage that, that no one can make that faith decision for you. The faith decision to commit your life to Jesus Christ, the faith decision to be, into a, be in a relationship with God through faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ, that's a deeply personal decision. No one can do that for you by proxy. No one can step into that relationship with God for you. That's a decision that only each person can make, and no one can do it for us. It's a deeply personal experience. And of course, as we've also seen in Scripture, as we read this morning, because we have this dizzying freedom to make right choices, we also have the freedom to abuse that freedom and make poor choices. Remember, uh, Paul said in that Philippian letter that I, section that I read earlier, he said, you're free in Christ, but do not use your freedom as a, as a way of self-indulgence. Free in Christ, but do not abuse that freedom. Tim Keller, in one of the books he's written recently, talks about how Western civilization for generations and maybe even centuries uh, was fo- in the past focused on the one goal of being good. That was sort of a Western culture concept that it's our goal in life to be good. And he said somewhere along the late 20th century, the last uh, few decades of the 20th century and early into the 21st century, he said the Western civiliza- civilization changed its focus from uh, being good to being free that our our obsession is about being free, which is all fine if we don't abuse that freedom. And the idea is, Tim Keller says, that unless we serve God and serve others, we'll never be free. Unless we are free from the tyranny of ego and selfishness, we'll never be free. 
that we'll be enslaved to self or to some other kind of God. And we have to come to the place in our lives where we serve something or someone bigger than our own egos, bigger than our own pride, bigger than our own materialistic dreams of success. And it's only when we worship God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we experience genuine freedom. And so that sort of leads to the natural corollary of soul freedom. Uh, the, the second part of, of soul freedom, each person being a free moral agent, is religious liberty for everyone. And we've been hearing a lot about that lately, but it's always been the case. Religious liberty for everyone. And listen up, religious liberty for everyone, not just the people with whom I agree. Religious liberty for everyone, no matter opinions. You know, religious liberty is not something that's just for me, but it's for everyone. And a part of that means that people are free to worship uh, who they please, whom they please, when and where they please, or they are free not to worship at all. That's the genius of the American system. That freedom of religion means that people are free not to worship. because. And here's why. Coerced faith is not really faith. If you try to coerce faith, it is by definition not personal faith. And if God in creation chose to create Adam and Eve and all of us free and says, now you're free to obey me, but you're also free not to obey me. If God in creation will not coerce faith, what makes us think that we would ever have the right to coerce faith? And of course we don't. And that's the, the experiment of American democracy that's been going on for at least 239 years and even before the Declaration of Independence and in our nation's birth. But, but a little history lesson, parenthetically here. If you read history carefully, you'll notice that people came from England and Europe to the New World to escape religious persecution. They, they longed for religious liberty. And to a large extent, at least in England, it was the Church of England that was, was insisting on conformity, and people were fleeing that. They came to the Americas. They came to the colonies. And once they got established here, if you read your history carefully, you'll notice that they, they got established, and then they started insisting that their way of religion be the way that religion is practiced. So Baptists were persecuted in the colonies. Catholics were persecuted in the colonies. So that the oppressed became the oppressor. The persecuted became the persecutor because they so quickly forgot the lesson of religious liberty that it's for everyone. Now, fathom this fact that in the original 13 colonies, 10 of them denied religious liberty to their citizens in the colonial era. 10 of them had established churches that you had to conform to. But not everybody liked that. There was a guy named Roger Williams. Uh, I don't know how well you can see that with a light 
kind of shining on his face. I think he kind of looks like me, don't you think? Uh, the, the thick, wavy gray hair and that sort of uh, sinister-looking mustache. I don't know. Maybe you don't. I, I don't know whether your laughter was agreement or pity or what. Roger Williams was in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and he absolutely could not abide the restriction on his soul liberty, his liberty of conscience, to worship God as he saw fit. So he fled, and he established the colony of Rhode Island, where religious liberty was practiced purely, and there he established the first Baptist church in America in Providence, Rhode Island. And I've been there, and that church is still in existence, worshiping today. Because he believed that we should, all of us, have religious liberty. Not just for himself, but for everybody. And that's a pretty rich heritage. And it, and it has its roots in biblical truth about soul freedom that extends then into religious liberty. And for 239 years, we've been practicing, sometimes better than other times, this experiment of a democracy with religious liberty that allows for all kinds of beliefs and non-coerced faith. Some time ago, I was... uh, at a Baptist gathering of some sort away from here. It was a regional gathering. And uh, they called on this lady to pray. She's a wonderful Christian woman. If I called her name, you would probably know uh, who I was talking about. Deep faith, very quiet, but boy, it runs deep. They called on her for prayer, and I don't remember what the topic of our meeting had been, but as soon as the prayer was over, I jotted down what she said, and this was her prayer, just the phrase of it, May our freedom in you, God, lead us to love one another. May our freedom in you, O God, lead us to love one another. She was actually praying the Galatians text. Let's look at that again, that Galatians 5 scripture. Paul says it is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. You see, love does not empty the law Love does not violate the law. Love fills full the law. That is, love is able to accomplish things that the law can never accomplish. And to live in that freedom is to understand that. And the truth that's also embedded in this passage of Scripture is one that I think with all of the rancor in our world today, we need to hear. Love of country should never lead to the hatred of others. That's just biblical. 
that loving the country should never call for hatred of others. God's word is clear. There was a movie that uh, I love old films. Uh, I think there, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of good stuff in some old films. And there was a movie that came out in 1958 entitled The Defiant Ones. Starred Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier. And it was about two escaped convicts, sort of reminiscent of the the chase recently in northern uh, New York State. But in this case, uh, one was black and one was white. And to make the story really interesting, they were shackled to one another. They were escaped from prison, but their escape was hindered by the fact that everywhere one went, the other had to go. And there's this one scene in the movie where they are in a deep ravine, a deep ditch, and the sides are very steep and they're very muddy and slippery. And one of the prisoners tries to climb and and scratch his way to the top, and he almost gets to the top, but he's pulled down by the weight and the chain of the other person. And it's a long story, and we can't go into it here, but suffice it to say, they finally come to the realization that if they're going to be free, they will only be free together. That their only chance for freedom is to be free together. And with everything that's happening in our nation, Charleston and all of the the heightened tensions with race and everything else, it's, it's a reminder on this Sunday when we celebrate our nation is that, that, that liberty is for all and that if we're going to become the individuals All that God created us to be, we can only arrive at that together with one another. If we're going to become the nation God has wants us to be, we're only going to arrive there together. If we're ever going to be the church that God's called us to be, we we can only get there together. And freedom is dizzying. So many, many, many choices. But God says, you do it in love. You do it in the love of Christ. And you do it together. Together.